Amen. Thanks, Charles. Uh, if I haven't gotten to meet you, I'm Eric. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the chapel. And today we're continuing in our message series on uh, 1 Thessalonians. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, maybe you have a Bible in front of you on your phone, uh, however you want to do that. Before we get in there, I want to turn to Paul's probably earliest letter, uh, a letter written to the Galatian church. And in the midst of that, he says a familiar verse. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul's saying if you are a follower of Jesus, people should know you by these things just like we would know an apple tree by its apples or an orange tree by its oranges. God's at work in you producing fruit so that people can pick these characteristics off in your life. Today I want to focus on that faithfulness word. That word faithfulness literally means loyalty, steadfastness, the ability to stand firm. We need loyal people in our lives, and God wants us to be loyal to him. So much so that hopefully we lead such a loyal and steadfast and faithful life that when we get to the end, when we cross that finish line, we hear these words from Jesus himself. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I long to hear those words, that the life that I lived here mattered that when life got hard, I didn't give up on God, but I drew closer to him. That I loved people. That I didn't live for myself, but I lived for others in the glory of God. And so when I crossed the finish line, Jesus is there opening his arms saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. That's a great vision for our lives. I hope it's your vision too. But if you're like me, it feels like as I'm on that race of faith, so to speak, I fall down a lot. Pastor Joe, he's run many marathons, and he has ran across the finish line. I tried one marathon when I was in college. I didn't think I needed to train. Yeah, exactly. I got to mile 10 after I've walked 8.5 miles, and I quit. <laughs> and not only that, I wore tights because it was cold out. I didn't know there was a, such a thing as running tights. The tights that I wore had a seam. The seam continued to rub up against my legs. I was a little heavier than I am now, and I was bleeding everywhere. So to say that I want to finish the race of life better than I finished my first marathon is so true. But I'll tell you, blood gets in the way. You get tired. You want to quit at mile 10. A lot of times it's things like this, pain and hardship. They make me wonder, is it worth it? God, where are you? I'm going through this horrible thing in my life. Where are you? I've prayed to you. Where are you? You're not helping the situation. Do you just stop? Or maybe it's unanswered prayer. Can make me question God's existence and lead me to forge my own path. Okay, God, you said to pray. I'm praying. You're silent. I'm going to now lead my life. But if you're like me, you kind of lead it going this way instead of this way. Or maybe it's my need for the approval of others. It could rob my need for God himself. So often, if I'm living to please somebody, I can probably guarantee you I'm not pleasing God because I care more about what they think of my life than what God thinks. That can easily lead us to quit the race. Or maybe it's disappointment with the church and other Christians that make you cynical towards God. You have nothing bad about prayer. 
you have nothing wrong with the Bible, but you've seen other Christians. You've seen the church hurt you, and you're like, God, I don't know if I want to be a part of this. Or maybe, I don't think Charles minds me sharing this. Charles is going through a really hard time too. How can he finish the race when two weeks ago I beat him in fantasy football and won the championship? Charles is lucky. I was going to order a championship belt. I was going to wear it in and come out as the champion. You notice he's not here this time. And let me tell you, he wasn't here the, he's not here, so I'm going to tell you what he exactly said. I said, Charles, what happened in fantasy football? He go, Trisha messed it up. <laughs> I told Trisha that too. <laughs> but what do you do when you want to stand firm in your faith? You want to be loyal to God. You want to be faithful. You want to run the race so you can run across the finish line and not stumble and fall towards it. What do you do? How do you do it? We want to answer that question today. How, what can help me stand firm in the times of adversity? Paul, he answers that for us today in God's word. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and onward, Dear brothers and sisters, after we separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. Separated there literally means to be ripped away. Paul was ripped away from this church. He loved this church. He wanted to go back. Unfortunately, he couldn't. And the reason for that, he tells us in the next verse, we wanted very much to come to you. And I, but Paul, he tried again and again, and Satan, he prevented us. Now, some of you are questioning your faith. You don't know if this God thing's real. And you're like, Satan, a little horned dude that sits on my left shoulder telling me to do bad things, you're telling me he prevented Paul from going back to the church? Well, if you look at it that way, no. But if you look at what the Bible says about Satan, then yes. Because when you see Satan from the beginning to the end, he has one goal in mind. Is that when you and I are running the race, he wants to trip us up again and again and again. He is an adversary. Think adversity. Now, not all adversity that we have in life is because of Satan. We can blame him. And some of it is. Sometimes it's just the world's suffering that we're subject to. Sometimes we create our own suffering. A lot of times we like to do things and blame other people, blame God, blame Satan. Really, it's us. But there is somebody who wants to trip you up often. And Paul said, this Satan prevented me from being with you. And so Paul says, I couldn't go, but we sent Timothy to visit you. And he is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. We sent him to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that we are destined for such troubles. There's something that when you're going through life and you're going through hard times and someone just shows up at the right time. That's exactly what Timothy did. Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to be with you in the journey. I told you it was going to be hard. And I've sent Timothy to continue to reinforce God's promises to you. And he says, even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. That is why when I could not bear it any longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Listen, when we all go through pain and suffering, it could trip us up. We may go on a detour. Paul wanted to make sure, hey, you started out strong, but it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. How are you doing on the race? And Paul, he was so glad to find out that when Timothy returned, he brought this good news report 
about their faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. Paul says, I don't know what was going to happen. I knew it could be dicey. I know what could happen when the enemy gets in there and suffering happens. But here comes Timothy with a report that you have stood firm. Great job. How do we do that? He ends the passage by saying, it gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you. Because of you, we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gaps in your faith. How thankful he was that the church stood firm. So the question now is, how can we stand firm? What can we do that when we leave here, and whether it's suffering in general or the enemy or even ourselves, how can we make sure to stay loyal and faithful to God? I want to give you a few reasons. Here's the first way to do that. Be aware. Paul, again in verse 4, he says, While we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come, and they did, as you well know. Paul's like, look, it's not if or when you're going to suffer, when you're going to go through hard times. Now, for you and I, we know we live in a broken world. But if you're like me, every time something bad happens, as it's, I'm, as it's, uh, <laughs> is, it's as if I'm surprised it happens. Like when I hear someone pass away, when I hear someone gets sick, or someone loses a job, or I'm going through hardships in my marriage, or something like that, I'm like so shocked. But Paul says, expect it. And that's not Paul's words. That's Jesus' words. Look what's sandwiched on the outside of the sandwich, I should say. Look at the buns of the sandwich. I've told you all of these things so you may have peace. I like peace. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. I like hope. But here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. We live in a world where it's a broken world. And Jesus, of all the religions, doesn't run away from suffering He doesn't minimize suffering. He says it's going to happen and something amazing can happen out of it if you allow God to move in your life in that way. This is going to happen. Awareness. It's so good to know that there's an enemy who may be in the bushes out there and you don't know when he's going to jump out and then when he does, what will you do? You don't have to walk around scared thinking this is going to happen every moment of every day, but you have to be aware that you live in a broken world and he wants to trip your faith up. So when you are going through hard times and you are going to go away from God, you have to remember, oh man, I remember God saying this. I gotta come back to him. You know, it was Paul that said in 2 Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Not if, not may. If you're truly living out your faith, And doing it in such a way where you are running your race, you will be tripped up somehow. Now for those around the world, it looks a little different. If you were ever to go to opendoors.org, it's a website started in honor of Brother Andrew who smuggled Bibles into a closed country, was persecuted for that. There are people right now meeting underground in churches because if they're caught worshiping or caught with a Bible or caught singing a song, they could be killed or jailed or flogged. We don't have that. But you will go through something. 
all of the time. And you need to be aware of that. Now, you and I, we're going to go through these things, and, and we need to be aware of it for ourselves. But we're not just called to look out for ourselves. We're called to look out for other people, especially when they're going through hardship. That's why the second thing that we must do is we need to get in the boat. This is one of my favorite ways to think of how to come alongside of people. People that are struggling, whether it's with grief or loss or some kind of suffering due to somebody doing something to them or sickness or losing a job or losing a marriage. They're in a boat and they don't know where it's going. And right now, that boat is not only going in a direction they weren't expecting, it's filling with water. And they don't need someone to get in their boat and start lecturing them on what they should or shouldn't do. They don't need any of your empty platitudes that life's going to get better. God's doing this for a reason. All of those things that we say when people are struggling. They need people to get in the boat, to sit next to them, and allow the boat to go wherever it's supposed to. And when they need help bailing water so they don't sink, you will grab a bucket silently and take it out. You see, Paul, he says about the Thessalonians, Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about faith and love. As you were going through hardship, one of the things that you were known for outside of your rock-solid faith in Jesus was for your love for one another. You got in people's boats. You helped bail water out of their boats. You were known for your love. Next week, when uh, Charles is here teaching on this passage, he'll share 1 Thessalonians 4, 9. And Paul says, we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. If you want to know what love is, we don't have to tell you anything about it. We'll just point you to the cross. That word of love is the word agape, which means unconditional love. You and I are conditional. We look out for ourselves, and we welcome love from other people. But if they don't meet our standards or they disappoint us, we kind of put our arms out or we treat them differently. But God doesn't do this. When we look at the cross, we were the ones that messed up and Jesus died for our behalf. It was unconditional. It was a gift. And Paul says, you ought to live like that, not conditionally thinking, what can I do for other people or what people can do for you, but what can you do for other people? And get in the boat and be quiet and bail water and go wherever that's going. What's so amazing is one another is found 59 times in the New Testament. If you want to know how to treat people, if you want to know how to do church, if you want to know how to live out your faith, over and over again it'll say this, one another, this, one another. And the most repeated phrase found one third of the time is love one another. That's practical. That's doing something. That's getting in the boat with them and allowing them to navigate where it needs to go. They don't need a lecture. They don't need someone to show up and then pray for them and then leave. They need a loyal person who when everyone else walks out the door, you're walking in at that time. 
that's what it means to love one another. Last night, I had the privilege of taking my daughters to a daddy-daughter dance. We all dressed up, even brought out the bow tie. Just a wonderful time. Took, our, took my daughters to a fancy restaurant, Chick-fil-A, and it was, it was great. I thought it was fancy. I gave them the choice, by the way. They chose Chick-fil-A and had an amazing time. I have two daughters, Eden and Remy. Last night, though, I had three. I won't call her my daughter. She's not, but she's a friend. Her name's Juliana. Juliana's dad passed away in November from pancreatic cancer. And Juliana was going to attend this dance for the first time without her dad, who attended with her last year. Todd was a very good friend of mine. And so my wife is so much smarter than me. She said, Eric, let's get in Spore's boat. And right now, that, that boat could be filling with water. And maybe one of the ways that we can take the water out is, why don't you take Juliana with you to the daddy-daughter dance? And at first, I was reluctant because I didn't know how to step into the shoes of her dad because he had big shoes to fill. But then I felt like the Lord said to me, you don't need to fill his shoes. You never will. You're not called to do that. Just get in her boat. So she came with us to Chick-fil-A. We brought her flowers like we did with our girls. She came to the dance. And then when they did slow songs and they wanted daddies or uncles or grandfathers to find their special little girl and dance with them, Juliana at that point asked me, can we go and get ice cream? That was her way of telling me she, she just wanted to go. Her dad's not there to dance with her. And we went and got ice cream came back, just saw a smile on her face, and maybe for that one moment where she kept talking about her dad over and over again all night, which I loved, maybe in that moment she could feel the love of Jesus in the midst of her adversity. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. What do you say when a little girl, they made picture frames, and she just said it as if the sky is blue. She goes, I'm going to take this to my dad's grave. What do you say? You don't say anything. You get in the boat, and you bail water, and you just love people. When you're going through pain and suffering, that's all you need is just to know you have loyal, steadfast people there ready to be with you. So let's get our eyes off ourselves and our problems and put it on other people so we can get in their boats, just like we want people to get in ours. Finally, well, not finally. We have two more. Sorry. <laughs> Turn on a light. Turn on a light. Paul, he says, night and day we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again so I can fill in the gaps of your faith. Paul just longs to go back to that church, to be able to speak truth to them, to bring more of God's word to them so they can fill the gaps of their faith. All of us, we have gaps in our faith whether you've been following Jesus for a few months or you've been following Jesus your entire life, we will never be 100% like Jesus until he puts his arms around us and says, welcome home. And so all of us, including myself, we have gaps in our faith. There's dark spots in our faith that if we're not careful, we can fill those dark spots with fear or worry or other things that end up happening to us when we go through adversity. How often when we go through a hard time and struggle, do we just run to God? We don't always do that. Amen. Thank you. 
That's what I sound like when I'm going through a hard time, screaming. (laughs) We usually do that. And Paul's like, look, we need in those moments to fill those dark gaps is to turn on a light. This morning, um, I was getting ready to come to Norwalk, and of course, it's been very cold, and I don't have the, the newest car. I think it's about 11 or 12 years old. Uh, my remote doesn't work, so I'm just praying that then my key won't work, of course, so I'm just praying I can just get in with my code and start the car. Well, I went outside today. It was very cold, and I didn't turn on a light at first, and I'm about to go down these steps, and all I see is snow, and all I see is ice, and I thought to myself, I really want to go to Norwalk campus, and I don't want to come in a boot <laughs> or a sling. And so what do we do? We get out our phones. Thank God we have a flashlight and we turned it on and I couldn't see much enough to get to the next step, to the next step, to get to my car, to turn it on for 45 minutes, to finally get warm enough to drive to be with you today. It was just a little light. You guys know what it looks like. Just a little light. Not as bright as these ones. Just enough that if it was dark, I could see my way down. In moments when we go through hardship, If we leave this light off and we put it in our back pocket, you will go through it dark. You will go through it without knowing what the next step is. You will fill the gaps of your faith in ways that could take you away from God himself. We start to believe lies. We start to believe things that aren't true. And God does not fill those gaps, but something else does. Paul says it has to be his truth, his word. I love the psalmist in Psalm 36, verse 9. that says, for you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. The light by which we see, it's not bright. I can't see 100 yards down the road. I can just see enough to get to the next step. And when you're running a marathon, every step counts. You don't want to trip. You don't want to fall. You don't want to give up. You want to take the next step. You turn on a light to see. Psalm 119, all about God's word, says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet, a light for my path. Just a little light, Paul's saying, just to make it the next step. And then he says in verse 107, I've suffered much, O Lord. Restore my life again as you promised, as you promised in your word. I'm suffering, I'm stumbling, it's dark, but I'm in your word. You promise it here, now come through. What will you fill the gaps of your faith with? It's dark, really dark. Fill it with the promises and the truth of God's word. Finally, now, it doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter if you get to mile 25. If you don't get to mile 26.2, it doesn't matter. You and I are called to finish well. Every time you read a chapter in 1 Thessalonians, oftentimes Paul ends with hope. Paul ends with pointing to the future. Paul points to a time when Jesus is returning. So how do you live between now and then, whether that comes tomorrow or whether that comes in 50 years or whether it comes in 100 years, how do you live now so that you finish well? Paul, he says in the passage, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13, Charles read it and I want to read it to you again. Look at how Paul says to do this. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. There it is again. 
May he, as a result, make your heart strong and blameless and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all of his holy people. Amen. Love God. Love people. That's what we do all the way. And if we can do that, by the time Jesus comes to us or we go to him, we have lived a life worth living. You don't have to crawl over the finish line. You will run across the finish line into the arms of Jesus himself. That's why I just love what Paul says about himself. He knows he's getting to the end of his race. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've remained faithful. I remain steadfast. I have fallen, but I've gotten up over and over again. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And this prize is not just for me, but all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. It doesn't matter how you start. It doesn't matter what it looks like in the middle, but it's how you finish. But how you finish is determined by how you start and what it looks like in the middle and then towards the end. How are you living your life, especially through adversity, that in the end you can say, I lived the life worth living. Jesus wraps his arms around me. Good job remaining faithful. Juliana's dad, Todd, got cancer, was healed, got cancer again, and died more quickly than any of us wanted. I know his brother and his sister-in-law are in here right now. I will not look over there right now. (laughs) Todd, lived a good life, and he figured out some things midway through the race, and he finished with a sprint across the finish line. I, watched, I held his hand four minutes after he passed away, and on the big screen of his TV next to all of his Browns things, poor guy, was just worship. He went into glory, listening to hope, and then at his funeral, three of his four best friends talked about his life, two of which don't go to church, don't follow God, one of which said, I don't really believe, I don't know where I am, but I'm questioning everything now because Todd finished well. Now he's wondering, is there a God and can I have the faith that Todd had because he finished well? What will people say about you? You're going to go through a lot of stuff. People are gonna do it to you. You're going to go through a lot of internal battles. You're going to go through suffering because the enemy. You're going to go through suffering because we live in a broken world. How will you live so that you finish well? There is a finish line right there. I don't know when it is for you. I hope it's 50 years down the road. But however you live now and then determines, will you be faithful? Jesus says, come to me. Wrap your arms around me. And I'm going to whisper in your ears, well done. Live a life that when he says it, he means it. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for equipping us to run this race. We're not running this alone. You give us a light to see. You give us people to live with. You give us the awareness that this is happening, Lord. Please help us live now or switch how we're living now so that we get back up on the race and finish, finish well. Thank you, Jesus, for finishing well for us. In your name, amen. Have a great Sunday.